Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life better than the first half. I'm here today with Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks, a lifespan psychologist, author, podcaster, founder of Lucid Learning Systems, a consultancy for change, transition, and mindfulness resources. Today, Andrea and I are going to talk about a topic that has long intrigued me, friendship. What is it? How does it differ between men and women? Work colleagues, high school and college friends, our neighbors, those who live in, and work in our community. What does it mean to have friends and not to have them? How do we keep good friends who move away in the second half of life, or even those who are near us? Andrew and I will be talking about all these issues and more. But before we do, I just wanted to take a few minutes to reflect on the state of friendship in modern day America. I believe that it remains strong. At the same time, I think it's fair to say that friendship is under a lot of stress. For one thing, our lives seem to be ever crazier, busier. Our work and family demands just never seem to ease up. The social distancing of this pandemic is cramming most of our face-to-face -face interactions online. And the emotional damage resulting from our wide political and cultural differences. Well, those differences are causing deep, hard division among many friends. And yet, I know that strong and abiding friendships will remain a cornerstone of our culture. So, for some incisive thoughts on all this, Let's meet our guest, Andrea Gould-Marks, who besides being a recognized expert in friendship, remains one of my longtime friends, even though we're almost 2,004 miles apart right now. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Ron, thank you for having me. And of course, your invitation provoked me to go back to some of the origins of our friendship and how long it has been. And yet the similarities were evident right from the beginning, you know, the um, right. bellwether that rang that said, you know, this is a person that's going to be a long-term friend. Right, right. Now, let's, before we talk about, you know, then we have long-term friends and we have different kinds of friends. One of the things that uh, interested me, Andrea, is that and in, in reading back on some of the articles and some of our conversations, you talk about friendship and you have an interesting term called, you call it the nutritional value of friendship which is it's interesting that you put it that way. What do you mean by that? Oh, heavens. Well, basically, friendship is a cornerstone of our well-being in general. So I'm a psychologist. So the first form of well-being is, you know, I that strikes me, of course, is, is mental health and then social health and emotional health. And actually, the literature does say that friendship is respond, good friendship helps uh, inoculate us against inflammation in particular. And we know health-wise that inflammation is the uh, demon of so many of the disorders that we have. So that's what I meant by nutritional health. That's right, right. just an introduction to my thinking about right, that. Right, right. Yeah, and I think I've, I've read that Obviously, talking about not broader than friendship, just sort of social connections, but friendship is a big part of that. And, you know, sort of conversely, um, the studies show that as you get older, especially, 
you know, as you lose social connections and get more isolated, that that is really have an impactful on your longevity. It's a risk factor. It really right. is. Right. And so as a psychologist, it's something that I think about all the time. And certainly somebody who's in, in advanced, I've gone forward from 40. Right. And still think and write about friendship. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I know too that, you know, I was looking at some of the, you know, at least the well-known songs in our younger days, you know, um, you know, you got to have friends, you know, Bette Midler's song and then uh, Carol uh, King's, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you got to have, you got to have a friend. Um, and I noticed that this was interesting that they were both um, came out in the early 70s, which seemed to be another time of a lot of social unrest in our time. And now, you know, it, it seems like friendship becomes even more important in these times of social upheaval. Absolutely, it is. And, you know, I'm just thinking about the 70s, that the human potential movement did open a lot of minds and hearts to, you know, to the things that made us tick. I mean, that it it really came forward in our society. And so relationships are always that. But there was such a, a movement of relationship change at that time. There were so many divorces at that time. And so at the same time that those primary relationships may have frayed, I think the importance of friendships, particularly through the feminist movement, the consciousness raising movement, women particular <laughs> leading, leading the charge on really relying on one another's support. So I could see very well why Carol King and Bette Midler <laughs> were saying about that. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, I uh, I got married later than most people in life. And so I think at our, our wedding that uh, my wife's and uh, our guests certainly had a lot of family. But it was really interesting that it was an, a pretty even split between family and friends. And so as you get older, you're, you know, you start, you know, at the, the, <laughs> the invitation this was like the wedding cake layered with, you know, friends from different parts of my life, you know, early on and so forth. Um, and one of the things is that, you know, is, you know, I had some really longtime friends, some from high school in that time. Um, but you and I have also talked about the fact that while we have these friends, um, it's, it's hard to keep them over a long period of time. And, and, you know, what do you do to maintain those friendships? Cause you know, that, you know, you, you call people and they say, God, I haven't talked in a long time. Wish we talked more. You know, how do you keep up with friends? And, and, and the other thing we talked about was, uh, I think sometimes the risk factor we feel of like, well, we've changed and we're no longer the same friends. We don't see each other every day. And so I think people are a little nervous about, well, maybe I'll call and it won't be the same. Um, so how do, you, how do you sustain friendships over a long period of time? That, that's a big question. And, uh, you know, I think my first, the first perspective that I might offer is that friendships mean more to some people than others. So let's just take the very simple dichotomy of single versus partnered. Right. Those who are partnered and then those who are developing families may feel less motivated or less of a need to maintain friendships. Very often people let them go, let their friendships go during times when they are partnered. I remember even in junior high school or high school, 
and that if a friend would develop a relationship, so right. a female friend would develop a relationship with a male friend, girls would say, yeah, she has no time for me anymore because all she thinks about is him. And um, later in my life, after I did complete those school ages experiences, I became a school psychologist in the high school system. And of course, I heard it then too, that there was 10, 12, 15 years later. And I would say to those young girls, just wait a couple of months. You know, those early days of being involved in a relationship, they're not thinking about their friends necessarily. They're thinking about their boyfriends and keeping their boyfriends. And then when they break up, then they want to go back to their friends again. And I say, just a bit of advice, welcome her back. Don't stand on ceremony, just welcome her back. And now we fast forward to the slew of divorces, particularly, like you said, in the 1970s and 80s. It became huge before the AIDS epidemic. Then once the AIDS epidemic took, you know, took root, then people weren't going anywhere so fast. You know, so there's all these sociological conditions also that have to do with the need for friendship. So first and foremost, we need to think about recognizing what feels like need. And certainly being single very often feels like need right. to, to stay with friends and to maintain friendships. Right, right. Yeah, I think though that um, some of us, I don't have a, my wife has a, a very close circle of friends. You know, there are five uh, girlfriends who basically have stayed in touch since high school. And uh, I call them the, the, your big show group. And um, certainly, um, you know, and they, they would get together, you know, once a year, they would go and have a retreat somewhere, which of course now it's not happening with COVID, but they still get together, um, you know, online. So they do their, you know, Zoom calls more frequently now. And, um, you know, I, I find it interesting, you know, that, you can, uh, I'm in another room, but I can hear them, you know, laughing. And one of the things that they've, uh, that uh, my wife and others have told me the group is like, you know what? We make each other laugh. That's, you know, a big part of it. And I think there's that, there's that kind of chemistry, I think, between, you know, close friends, um, especially, I think, the sense of humor. And, and another thing about that is laughter really has a therapeutic value. So going back to the nutrition, Laughter really does affect the endorphins, you know, the feel-good hormones. And um, the more laughing you can do with either old friends or new friends, I know my best friend from high school and I laugh about things. The same, like our sense of humor developed over our trials and tribulations when we were high schoolers. And still to this day, she in particular will bring things up and her laugh is so infectious and it's just an amazing kind of glue, laughter. Mm -hmm. Old friends or new friends. You know, when you're evaluating, is somebody going to be a new friend? And you find that you're laughing at around the same, at, at about the same things. That's another sign that, you know, to share a sense of humor, it, that's really a treasure. You yeah. know, whether it's a wry sense of humor or a sarcastic sense of humor or just a funny bone. Right. That's right. a really healthy way. Yeah. And, and you know, people do that a lot on social media. Now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I noticed uh, that uh, actually several years ago now that, um, you know, I'd interviewed you and when I was doing an article about uh, this group of, of male men friends um, who had been getting together for 50 years. Um, uh, they were on a, a, a tavern a basketball team together, an amateur team, and they would, they, they bonded and they, um, you know, they get together once a year around the football playoffs, you know, of course, this year, unfortunately, because of COVID, it's harder to do that. But, but I noticed the same thing among these men is that, boy, they they shared this. In this case, yes, it was a very sarcastic sense of humor, constantly zinging each other and so forth. But it was definitely shared, and you know, and yet, you know, clearly some of them had, were in more touch with the others. But in, in general, it was just a really nice way to catch up. It was like a reunion, and I, you know, just like you know, I recall going to my reunions that, you know, it doesn't have to be the same going, you know, with these uh, circles is that you have deeper friendships and you can go and talk to someone for 15 minutes and that's fine and you catch up and, but it's just, it's still the sense of connectedness. Um, now you and I talked about also that there, that there, you know, while humor may be something that both men and women share, you know, are there differences in terms of, you know, how uh, men and women, you know, create friendships and keep friendships? You know, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that. I have a lot, I've done a lot of thinking about this, and even to the point where I've done, I think, two podcasts over the past couple of years with men talking about friendships. And funny, you should mention one of the men is a stand-up comedian, um, as his profession. Um, and then one is, you know, Harvard educated educated real estate developer. And my husband, who is a psychologist, who mm. does a really good job of staying in touch with friends. And yet the gender differences about maintaining friendships are really striking. You know, that, that women definitely um, reach out and reach back and really put that almost at the top of their list. Even after many years of marriage, you know, that friendships maintain the number one slot. The funny thing is that men, once they're married, very often don't feel an acute sense of need for friendship, whether it's with, with other men or other women as friendship goes. It's, it's as, almost as if women are very fulfilling um, mm. or fulfilling enough for many men. And at the same time, I know that being in, you know, in, in this particular time of quarantine, my husband, who's a psychologist and very aware of needs, has been the kingpin person to get his high school group once a month to, to have a reunion. And it's amazing. He just took responsibility for it because he knows how isolation can really not be a healthy thing for us. It's enough of a it's enough of a challenge right now to remain healthy in all other respects. So social health right. is really clear. So I, I loved seeing him do that. I thought that was just real stand up for him. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You, um, one of the things that I think you mentioned to me was, um, um, so of these long-term friendships you, you mentioned and I'm quoting you now from a previous article you've written about, the longest relationships begin when people share common, often emotional experiences early in life. They stay together because they're able to accept changes in each other. A lot of friendships end because one person takes the other person's actions personally, upset that that friend is not acting as, quote, promised as were expected. 
the wisdom of keeping old friends is weathering those kinds of changes, appreciating your friends when you don't necessarily agree with them. I think that's interesting and tough to do. Yeah. 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 It's when you don't agree with their behavior or their choices, that can be, uh, you know, a major disruptor. Um, we also did a, a couple of podcasts on derailed relationships among women where we look into how did that happen? You know, sometimes you end a relationship and sometimes other people might end a relationship. What happened? We called it derailed relationships. What the hell happened? Mm. Um, and sometimes we never, that was the result of our interviewing with people. Sometimes people never find out what happened, mm. right? Um, but just going back to the quote that you took from the article that you wrote after interviewing me is that a big reason is that all of a sudden that person with whom you've had a friendship goes in a direction that wasn't part of your initial contract together. Hmm. And not that the, any initial contract is necessarily spelled out, but it is implicit in the relationship. And so when that changes, because life changes, sometimes that is, feels very hurtful um, or it feels like what's in it for me now now that he's changed, now that she's changed, now that she's gone in another direction, mm -hmm. what's in it for me? And so there needs to be like a reflection that's like a bit of a revision. Maybe the relationship is in need of an update or a talk or a revision. Right. Something that I, that I, yeah. that yeah. I might suggest. Right. The sooner that you can voice your feeling in a relationship that matters, the better off you are. Right, right. Yeah, I think that um, it, it's tough. It sometimes feels like a almost a betrayal. Um, exactly. Although, but it's really just more of a change, you know. And uh, but it, it's as you know, it's tough to adapt to change. That's one of your your specialties is helping people deal with transitions and adapt to change. And and as you put it, you know, act as a lighthouse to you know help them guide the way to make that kind of transition. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that, but we need to, we're going to take a, a short break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk a bit, a bit more about uh, these issues and your podcast about how you got into that and, you know, um, what kinds of things you've discovered in doing these podcasts with Boom Goddesses. So, so we're going to take a quick break, folks, uh, but don't go away. We'll be right back with much more from Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. 
The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back to 45 Forward, where we're talking today with Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks about all the multiple facets of friendship, especially in midlife and beyond. Now, before we continue, I just want to let you know that you can find a link to Andrea's article, The Fabric of Friendship, with her colleague, B.B. Peters. It's on my Roel Resources website, uh, roelresources.com, and you just click on the 45 Forward tab, and you can see her article and more resources that she's got on, on friendship. So, Andrea, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, um, your a podcast, Boom Goddesses, and then how you've evolved into Boom Talk Radio and, and what you've discovered by this whole journey. Wow. You know, it's fun to talk about what the origins were because I didn't know either of these two people who did become my partners in a venture that started out as a playful venture where I know I wanted to create my own media rather than listening to the media that was out there. And when I announced that to a networking group, these two ladies came up to me at the end of the luncheon and said they wanted to do it too. And it reminded me that of, of times in childhood when, you know, back in the day where you're playing on the block and you're doing something and somebody comes over and says, can I play too? And, you know, you either say yes <laughs> right. or no. Right, That's right. exactly how it felt to me. It's like, okay, yeah, it's why do it alone when you can do it with other people? So collaboration um, was really the driver there. I was not used to recording podcasts. It was five years ago and many people didn't even know what a podcast was, but I did. And I got them um, engaged in the process. And then we started thinking about topics. We had no loss for topics. And one of the biggest topics that on top of the list of mine was friendship, uh, particularly because we called it Boom Goddess Radio initially. And that meant like your demographic, 45, 50 forward, that friendship is different then than it was back in the day. Right. And you and were targeting as, women, right? You were targeting. Um... Initially, we were talk, targeting women mm -hmm. until men started listening. And they told us that listening to our podcasts was like the key to a woman's mind. Hmm. And they were interested in having the key to a woman's mind. <laughs> so we went through about four years of creating podcasts together. And then one of our um, partners wanted to do more broadcasting. And so uh, she hooked us up with a local um, radio program. And we did that for a while. But I know for me that uh, being confined to a time frame wasn't my favorite thing to do. 
So if, as long as I'm the guest, like now, that's fine. But when I was driving the boat, I really wanted to just let the sails out into the wind. And as long as it took, it took. So mm-hmm. we have about 100 podcasts up right. on SoundCloud under Boom Goddess Radio. Right. Yeah. So just talking a little bit more. And so now you've, you've had a relationship with these two women and clearly you're work colleagues, but you're also friends, in, you know, in, in some capacity. And, and that to me is always kind of a, an interesting phenomenon too, is when you spent a lot of time in the workplace, you know, you're obviously with people, uh, you know, you engage with them, you become friends with some of them um, and some not. Obviously it's a little harder sometimes to be friends with your boss or supervisors but talk a little bit about that, about, you know, friendship at work. You know, what are the issues that, that, that people um, run into? Well, I think starting it as older women, uh, and each of us had long careers. One had a career in, with Amtrak, where mm-hmm. she was an executive. Another had a career that was in the architecture business. Um, and building business and business building business. And then there was me, who was always a social behavioral scientist in academia as well as in private practice. And it was a matter of first and foremost, we got to know each other as we produced podcasts and as we expressed our interests. And then the more we identified with each other and you know, developed a sense of humor about each of our skills and resources, we really got to be close um, and know each other deeply. And then in our workplace, to know each other deeply was to be permissive of each other's lives during the time that we were together. One of our partners um, had um, a family members die, more than one. And so we were able to go on, you know, we had two of us that were able to carry the banner while the other one took care of life as she needed to. And so it was good that we were friends. It was good that we had that kind of respect that comes with knowing what life deals us. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that goes on sometimes in too rigid a workplace where we don't appreciate what other people are going through, whether they have young children at home or they're caring for aging parents, which was the case for both myself and another one of our partners. Um, They were with me through the death of my dad. We were with another one of them through the death of her mom. So it's the intrusion of real life that can be cared for in a sensitive and loving way, provided that's part of the um, contract, let's say. Right. among people who are working. Yeah, I think that's evolved too. I think, you know, when I first was uh, a newspaper reporter and covering workplace issues, um, you know, there wasn't that much talk about work and balancing work and family. You know, it was like, oh, there's work. And I <laughs> think that that has evolved too and recognizing that that's part of the the contract, as you put it. At the same time, you know, I did... You know, there were times when I was a you know reporter, then I became an editor, so I was a supervisor, and I did you know, have to think about that balance and and boundaries sometimes, and sort of, you know, you're you're you know you're not you know intimate, but you are sometimes you are you know close to people, and you you know, um, and I would often struggle a little bit about how personal should I get with people, and you know, there 
yeah, they're my friends, but but I'm also their supervisor. And you know, are, are there boundaries you need to think about when when you're in the workplace in terms of you know where where a friendship is and and how to you know maintain it but not push it too far and and manage your expectations about it. Managing expectations, yeah. I think that there's really a big difference between being in an entrepreneurial workplace where you've created the workplace versus you're serving in a workplace that has pre-existing expectations. Um, We were able to have that, like I said before, permissibility and that um, flexibility to be able to both be productive because we probably didn't really miss any commitments regardless of each other's. One of our, one of our members, one of our partners fell in love during, um, during our, our time together working as a threesome. And I just called it that she was on like honeymoon sabbatical. And she was getting to know this man who was just the perfect partner in her life. It's like, okay, you're off. This is important. We're in our sixties, do this, you know? Um, And so we just went about our business. Two out of three of us were carrying the ball and that was fine. And we had other helpers as well, but that was fine. So I think there's a huge difference between entrepreneurism and working in a in a, in a workplace with rules and regulations right. and guidebooks. Right, right. And guidelines. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that, well, I think that, and one of the things that I wonder about too is, um, you know, I, I, you know, we, we are in an age of Facebook and, um, you know, I think it's sometimes unfortunate that, you know, we've, they've, they grabbed this term friends because, um, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not Agreed. sure what, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, you know, what are friends on Facebook these days? How should you deal with that issue? Because some people are friends and they want to make connections and, you know, you're not quite sure why people are there sometimes. How do you handle that? Yeah, well, one of the ways I've been handling it lately is not going on Facebook, but um I handle it more like interested parties. Mm-hmm. Some Some are voyeurs. Some are truly interested in what one is saying or doing. Um, Some, and again, you know, this is different in different generations. In in the older generations, there really are more of a concentration of true friends than just, like I said, followers or voyeurs. Younger generations, it's, it's spookier and discomforting if that's a word, um, to, to know that there are people who are watching your life and comparing theirs to yours and coming up short and having all kinds of emotional reactions. It's, it's a cause of tremendous upset in young people's lives, in mm-hmm. teenagers' lives. Yeah, basis of comparison and all of that. But I think you're absolutely right. It was unfortunate that it was called friends. But again, look at the origin of Facebook. It was there for friends in a given academic environment initially. Right, right. Yeah, unfortunately. For people to get to know one another, for for people to get to know their classmates. Wasn't that the original? Yeah, I think it was actually uh, more, unfortunately, 
uh, male intentional than that. I think it was initially to talk about, you know, their female co-eds, but, um, uh, but uh, at least in, in the earlier Zuckerberg stages. Uh, but um, yeah, I think it's, um, I, I do enjoy it. I don't, I, it seems to me a risky way to look for friends. Um, it, yeah. it seems to me that you could certainly find people who have similar interests and, you know, you could set up groups and so forth. And I think sometimes it's useful. I mean, it seems like it's almost a support group, you know, it's turned into a support group. Um, uh, support so it, groups for each individual that posts and then people uh, are validating and affirming what they said or what they did or how they looked or that kind of thing. That's yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Group. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that although it's not, you know, it's it's not formal, it doesn't, doesn't have any real um, strong guideposts, so it can go a lot of different directions, but I think you're right. It, it's so, you know, it, it, it does take some of the conventional aspects of, of friendship of, of people of common interests and, and support each other. And um, I suppose even, you know, laugh together if you can online with shared stuff. Um, but <laughs> shared I, stuff, yes. Yeah, but I think it, it, there's also a, a danger too in that there's, um, you know, you lose a lot of the context of friendship because you're, if you're never meeting these people, um, again, it, it, there's, there's so much variability because I, you know, I have, um, you know, a, a high school friends group, you know, so you, uh, have that group, um, and you can have, you know, work groups and private groups and so forth. So, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, it, it, it can have that support structure for you. Um, but again, I think then it, it's, it also seems to have contributed substantially to feelings of loneliness, not, not friendship. Yes, yes, it has. Um, and like I said, that starts with the younger generation and then it diminishes a little bit because the older generation, um, let's say boomers, um, they know who their friends are. Hmm. And so it's a way of staying in touch. Hmm. And when the younger generation went on to Instagram, it took a while for the older generation to catch up with the Instagram kind of thing. They were using Facebook. A lot of people still use um, LinkedIn mm -hmm. um, based on similarities. And then there's all the scammers there that are just looking to sell whatever they're looking to sell. But I think that true friendships still need to happen. I think that Facebook's been convenient a little bit for some people in terms of what's happening now in terms of quarantine and the limitations on our real contact with people. Um, people can use Facebook Live and have a party right. <laughs> with their friends. So there's wonderful innovations that allow for creativity if you're so inclined. But the fundamentals of friendship are still based in very, very real um, ways and, and, and means. Right. Yeah, yeah I think that, um, you know, from my experience, LinkedIn, um, you know, is more professionally oriented and, you know, you have, it's it sort of, clear in terms of, you know, it's, this is for professionals, this is for people looking for jobs, this is for, um, and, and so we call them connections, not friends, you know, and, and so it's, it's more intentional and, and kind of um, upfront about what the expectations are. But, you know, 
the use of friends can be too ambiguous sometimes. I think it's kind of problematic. So, but um, I think it brings up the issue of how do how does networking or contacts mm-hmm. is there a path to friendship there? And some people have an easier time with that, and some people are just stymied by it. And I was um, taking a walk this morning thinking about shyness and how making new friends, particularly at this time, but making new friends at any time for the shy person, Mm -hmm. and I'm not even using the word introversion, I'm talking about shyness, how hard it is to initiate a contact. How do people initiate friends at any age? Right. Yeah. And I do think that there is a, a sort of um, an adventurous part of it on, in a positive way and not some, so there's some risk, but, but there's also that, you know, I have, you know, connect with people. I'm like, wow, I would never have met that person if, if somehow, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the intricacy, the analytics of the, the internet hadn't sort of shown, well, this person has similar interests and kind of, you know, you know how they do this. Well, you might be interested in following this person. And I'm like, Ooh, that that's interesting. You know, I would never have found that person because they don't, not, they don't encounter them. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I think the last thing I want to talk about though, with, with this sort of area, and we're going to go to a break shortly, but when we come back to break, I'd like to talk a little bit more about now sort of the, the edgier side where, where we have, you know, political and partisan and real cultural divisions and how that's, you know, how to deal with that in terms of maintaining or preventing friendship from rupturing. So we're going to head to break. Uh, we'll be right back with much more from Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mac. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Thanks for coming back, folks. Once again, we're talking with Dr. Andrew Gould-Marks, a noted expert on maintaining friendship throughout our lifespan. And just before our break, we were t- I was talking with her about politics and friendship. 
And, uh, you know, I think that this, this is sort of a different time. You know, I, I do remember growing up, um, one of uh, my favorite parts of uh, growing up, uh, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s was that uh, my dad had a, had a Model A fire truck, a 1936 Model A fire truck that he would use. And we would, um, you know, he would take us on, you know, uh, excursions and fairs and various events, charity events. And he co-owned this truck with a guy who uh, was actually uh, turned out, we had not earlier on, but then was a, one of our high school history teachers. And this guy uh, was an avowed Democrat. And my father was an avowed Republican. And yet they co-owned this truck together. And they, you know, the only time that politics really came up was really during the 1960 uh, Kennedy Nixon election, and it was pretty, it was pretty strong stuff. There were a lot of strong opinions and feelings on both sides, and the way my my dad and and his friend, um, uh, you know, another volunteer fireman dealt with it is that they they both used the truck for their independent campaigns. So one would go out and put Nixon signs, you know, and take it out in the community and told rallies and clang the bell and so forth. And they come back to the, the house. My dad would rip off all the signs and put on, well, my, my, my dad put on the Nixon signs that, you know, uh, this other person would put on uh, Kennedy signs, but he'd rip them off and, and he'd go off and do it. Uh, and, you know, they respected each other's opinions. They didn't agree with each other, but it never seemed to rupture their friendship. But this does seem to be happening today. And I wondered if you could just comment about that and what mm. we should do about it. Mm. Well, that's something that I've been thinking about very much, actually, with a friend of mine who's also an academic and sort of early into it, I, uh, you know, early into this season, because I never thought that she would hold a different opinion of me, but her husband holds different opinions. And so, you know, that's, that's a hard thing in mm -hmm. its own right to get about friendship, but living with somebody who has a different political opinion than yourself. But anyway, um, she developed um, a, um, a sympathy for his opinion, and that started setting her apart from friends. And she's, a, you know, like I said, she's an academic. She has been a business partner of mine. We've been close friends for whoa, over 35 years. And I said to her, look, she's also a psychologist. I said, look, we've got to do something about this polarization. Not necessarily just between us, but we have to go deeper. We have an obligation as social scientists to at least think about ways to keep people out of trouble. Um, we don't want friendships to break up over this what do you think so we started we started looking into it we had two more people join us people who research as well and we met a number of times and a couple of the things that we thought about i mean there's there's ways of talking to another person that aren't antagonistic mm -hmm. that that believe in certain basic respect you know, of not interruption, of being curious and saying, you know, I love you. <laughs> Tell me how you got to this. Please take me through the steps. I really want to understand. And I have done that. I've done it with my hairdresser where I said, take me through it. I want to understand 
why you think the way you do. And I think that if you're authentic about it, I find with my friends that, that are, have voted differently than me, they will tell me and I will learn. And I learned after the, 26, uh, the six, 2016 election that there were certain issues that were really heartfelt. That was a little bit different than now where there's all the conspiracy theories. But if you are willing to what we call downregulate your reactivity, you know, downshift to a place of neutrality, almost like putting your stick shift in neutral and then saying authentically, please educate me, I want to understand. Another guideline is I'm not necessarily looking to change my opinion, but I'm interested in understanding yours. If you talk to me, not trying to change me, regardless of what size, side you're on, but just in terms of the goal being understanding, not change. Right. I think that's a good methodology. Yeah. Yeah. To use. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I read this book uh, called strangers in their own land uh, by this um, I guess she's a sociologist, uh, Arlie Russell Hochschild. And uh, it was an interesting read because she was basically a, a liberal um, academic from Berkeley. And uh, she wanted to understand, well, the minds, well, why do people, you know, on the right, whatever you want to call it, think this way? And I think that, you know, so she spent several months in a small town in Louisiana and really spent time with those folks um, and really, you know, got to know them, you know, a dinner with them, talk with them. And, you know, I think it's, you know, once you, once you break bread with somebody like that, and you really say, I want to, I want to see where you are, you know, how you live, you know, how you interact with people. I think, you know, it's basically as, as you call it, just, it's, it's a, you know, shorthand of respecting who they are. And, you know, I may never actually experience what you do, but, but, you know, I experience the feelings that you have about the, you know, the, the, the strong sentiments you have about what it is you believe. Um, we can borrow a lot also from dialogue between married people who are mm. reflect. There's a way that you can set an intention that you can start by making an appointment for a good time to talk and not just off the cuff ambush someone into a conversation, but to say, I would love to talk to you about this. When would be good for you? And then the intention being really clear. I want to understand because I love you. And that means I have to really listen. I can't interrupt. I have to keep asking questions that are not, you know, that don't have a, a razor's edge to them, but are just curiosity oriented questions. Healthcare was a very big issue in the last election. And there were people who lost their health care while the president was promising to provide health care for everyone. That was very disruptive to, I mean, it was disruptive to friendships, you know, because of the difference in the way the voting went. But it was also really heart opening to know that what people's fears and concerns were. Mm -hmm. And with health at the forefront, that was you know, it was much easier to understand than having conspiracy at the forefront. Right, right. Uh, and the last area I want to sort of explore with you is, uh, you know, as, as you get older, of course, um, 
your friendships start to diversify in terms of age, you know, and you find yourself uh, and early on and, and, you know, all the way through there, there are people who I think generally more, more often than not are your age cohorts. So your friends, but, but as you get older, um, you know, you touched on this earlier about how do you make new friends and how do you, you know, how do you develop friendships intergenerationally? Um, I was mentioning to you, I think the other day, this group called Dorot, who, uh, which has started from some graduate students in New York City. Um, and their intent was basically trying to reach out to uh, socially isolated seniors who really just needed friendship, needed social connection. And they started, you know, matching them with younger people um, uh, who, you know, who became genuinely friends. They were not intimates. They really were friends who, people who would go and walk with each other, who would talk to each other, occasionally cook together or, and each side would teach something to the other side. Um, yeah. First and foremost, I think that a lot of young people get used to the peer group cohort and I think that if we as older people can really reinforce that with our children and our, and our grandchildren to be able to extol the virtues of having friends of all ages and stages of life, um, that's kind of like a life skill that is really fortunate. If you can cultivate that early on, um, you know, the way we have that lockstep kind of thing going on in grade school, you know, kind of habituates us to that peer group kind of thing. And anybody who's not there is not a friend, just like anyone who's not a school friend to have a camp friend and not, you know, more camp friends than school friends. The person still feels like they're not legit as a friend, you know, so the legitimacy of who can be a friend is a really important thing. The other main thing, I don't know how much time we have left, is about being friendly. We don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have tutors who help teach us how to be friendly. If we have lucky enough to have friendly parents, we can easily model on them. Or if we're the younger in a family and we can see how our older siblings did it, then that's another good thing. But friendliness is something that's related also to to feeling courageous enough and worthy enough to reach out. Shy people don't necessarily all the time feel worthy of reaching out. They they worry, you know, are they going to be rejected um, or somebody going to be annoyed that they were intrusive? And that is something that has roots in childhood. You mm-hmm. know, why would somebody feel that like they're not worthy? So a lot of my work as a psychologist is often dealing with people who don't feel worthy of being able to reach out and get what they need from life, friends being one of their needs, but lots of other needs too. Um, Reaching out is a skill and it's a resiliency skill that needs to, we need to help people learn how to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes like the Durant, model really basically sets up a structure so people can do that. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's, um, it's something that people need to be intentional about. Um, I think they need to be open. And I think that, you know, the risk that, you know, each side of us feels, um, you know, the older and the younger 
um, you know, sort of the generational differences, you know, you know, I think a lot of them are, are there, they're culturally there, you know, but, you know, the, whether it's music or entertainment or, you know, um, the general popular culture, um, you know, that's, that's, that's there. But I think that, um, I think that, the, the, you know, when I, when I talk to um, people at, at senior centers who were involved with intergenerational programs, I think there's often just really a pleasant surprise, you know, about what, you know, people who become friends from different generations learn from each other. You know, it's, um, and uh, it's, it's a joy, you know, it's, 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 and it, I, I guess, you know, for older people, you could say, well, it keeps you young, you know, and for, for younger people, it's like, well, helps sort of give me, a, you know, some guidelines or perspective or what I can look forward to. I always wanted to have, oh, I was always younger, by the way, you know, going through school, I was two years younger than my classmates. So I got used to people being older than I, and I appreciated that, um, especially as I got a little bit older, like in graduate school, to have people who were older in life. I remember having a very close friend who was like 17 years older than I, and she got divorced. And I learned about divorce from her. And she talked about being single after divorce. I learned about that, even though I was too young to really be in either situation at that point, it was useful to me. And so I make sure that I keep like the lighthouse that people have described to me to be, I look around and I see where that those connections can be forced, fostered. Even my friend's children become my friends. Right, right. And I am purposeful about it. Right. Well, there's much more to talk about, but I'm, I, we're going to have to leave it there and just look forward to another show with you, Andrews. Thanks so much for your thoughts and your insights. Um, and we can Thanks for this- inviting me, Ron Rowell. You're quite welcome. Um, we can keep the conversation going if you have questions for me or Andrew. Andrew, what's the best way for people to reach you? I think at this point, it's, um, let's just say my long email, which is Andrea Gould, PhD at lucidlearning.com. Um, that would be the best way to reach me. And I noticed that there are some questions in the chat. So maybe you and I later on can pick up on those okay. and be able to find another way of answering Great. some of those okay. suggestions. Okay. Well, thanks, folks. Um, we'll see you next week for another edition of 45 Forward. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.